Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, here we go. The Seahawks are a 500 team on the season, falling to 6-6 six and six after a 41-35 loss to Dallas on Thursday Night Football tonight in a game that was equal parts entertaining, fun, had some positive things for the Seahawks, but also confirmed some of our priors really amplified some of the weaknesses on this team, showed just how far they are from contending in the NFC, despite the fact that they come up just six points short in a game against one of the NFC's best. We'll talk about all that coming up next in this rapid reaction episode. Audio only on this one. You can only get it where you're listening to your podcast. Seahawks Forever is up next. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Well, if I told you that Geno Smith was going to have his best game in a year, that DK Metcalf was going to have arguably, well, nope, not even arguably, that he was going to have his best game of his career, that the Seahawks were going to be consistently successful multiple times in this game on screen passes, that they were going to be outstanding on third down on offense, that their run pass mix was going to be solid. They were going to stick with the run a little bit more than they have been lately, that they were only going to give up one sack to that vaunted Dallas defense, that they were going to sack Dak Prescott four times. And that there would not be a single punt in this game. How would you have felt about the outcome? Would you have taken that? Because that's what happened tonight. The Seahawks offense played their best game in uh, at least a year. I'd have to go back and, and look at last year. Their, their most consistent game from start to finish. Looked like they fixed some things. Uh, but there are some things that are still very, very, very broken. And it costs them the game. Thank you for listening to Seahawks Forever. I am Dan Viennes. This is an audio only exclusive episode. So whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, please subscribe to the show. If you like what you hear, uh, give me a five star review, if you would, please. Um, and if you listen on Spotify, you're going to hear some ads. You're going to hear some ads no matter which platform you listen on. Uh, but you can get rid of them on Spotify. You can you can subscribe. 
on a monthly basis. And right now, uh, starting out, um, I'm just charging 99 cents a month for 99 cents a month. You can join our subscribers who have taken the step to, um, have an ad free experience. So we'll kind of do a good, bad and ugly part of this as I go over my notes and go over the box score. Really wanted to react to this. Um, as soon as the game was over, don't want to hear from the coaches. <laughs> don't want to hear from the players. I, I don't think anything any of them could say would change my mind about where the, where this team is at. Um, as I said at the top, this is a fun game to watch. Remind me of a college football game. You know, a lot of back and forth. And for the first time in quite a while, the Seahawks played a complete game on offense with one exception I'll get to in a moment. Um, and it was really a... a sort of a game of redemption for Geno Smith, I think, who's really been under fire this season, especially the last six weeks, um, at times from yours truly, even. You know, I, uh, I'm i a fan of Geno's talent and, and the possibilities, but I have been as frustrated as anyone this year in his decision-making and his hesitancy in the pocket. Uh, we did not see that tonight. His final line this evening, 23 out of 41 for 334 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, a passer rating of 97. Um, he was outstanding, period. He was absolutely outstanding. And I think the thing that seems to have clicked for him and really it started seeing it in the Washington game, second half of the Washington game. We didn't get a chance to see it in the San Francisco game, but it was on full display tonight. Something clicked for him and he's just, his internal clock is sped up. He's, he's making quicker decisions. He's getting rid of the ball quicker. And we saw that on the first drive. Saw it on the first drive when he hit DK Metcalf for a 73 yard touchdown uh, on an in-breaking route over the middle. That was a very, very high degree of difficulty NFL throw. That's the kind of throw that a lot of NFL quarterbacks simply don't see, don't even comprehend. And then an even smaller percentage of them are capable of making that throw into a very, very tight window. I mean, that, that ball had to be perfect placement. And DK made a hands catch with coverage, you know, not easy guy with his hands up and then took it to the house, 73 yards, the fastest recorded miles per hour sprint speed in the league this year, as he just took off untouched. We hadn't seen a play like that in a long time. So it was a great way to start the game, especially after we had seen, even though the Seahawks only gave up a field goal on their first drive, we saw them just, it was similar to the beginning of the San Francisco game except for the, the result was a field goal instead of a touchdown, where Dallas just kind of had their way. Um, I've got some notes here. There was a third and 16, or as I wrote it, third and effing 16, where they play uh, soft, 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 soft zone, like smooth jazz. You're listening to soft zone, the soft zone network. Um. We saw early on 
an intention by Dak Prescott and Brian Schottenheimer, the former Seahawks offensive coordinator, now calling the plays in Dallas, uh, to pick on Reek Woolen in this game. I'm sorry, Reek Woolen, apparently, according to Al Michaels. He wants to be he wants it to be pronounced Woolen. It just sounds awkward. Um and you know, I mean I mean they didn't just they didn't stay completely away from Devin Witherspoon tonight. In fact, CD Lamb's first touchdown was against Witherspoon, but they really picked on Woolen and it it worked in their favor as uh Reek, I don't have the exact numbers here, but uh four or five times was flagged in this game. Penalties were a huge storyline in this game. Let's see what the final tally was. At one point, um, Herb Street and Michael started talking about how the NFL record for penalty yards in the game was in jeopardy. Uh, let's see. Total 19. And these are the two most penalized teams in the NFL. So this was the only team that could kind of hang with the Seahawks when it came to penalties. Uh, but Seattle still got them there. 10 penalties for 130 yards. For the Seahawks, nine penalties for 127 yards for the Cowboys. And just so many of them were uh, pass interference calls. And uh, a couple of them were legit, but a couple of them were ridiculously ticky-tack. And here I want to ask a question. So late in this game, let me see where my notes are. Uh, Yeah. Uh, late in the game, it's 35-27. Seahawks had an eight-point lead late in this one. And uh, they call pass interference on Reek Wollen in the end zone. And even Kirk Herbstreet was adamant that he didn't like the call because he didn't inhibit the ability of the receiver to make the catch. And this is what I don't get about the NFL. I don't I don't have a problem. If you know the play I'm talking about, it's a 20, 25-yard pass attempt into the corner of the end zone. And at the last minute, Woolen was in good position, reached out with his arm and contacted, I think it was C.B. Lamb, who had 13 catches tonight, 12 catches. He was a force. But anyway, back to my point. Um, and so Woolen reached out the last second with his hand, and contacts the receiver. And Herb Street says, on camera. Didn't impede him, didn't change his direction, didn't didn't interfere with his ability to catch the football at all. Just made contact. And we see this happen a lot. So then why isn't the call illegal contact beyond five yards? Why is the default just to call it PI all the time? Because obviously, illegal contact is... It's an automatic first down, but it's a five-yard penalty. Five-yard or ten-yard? Five-yard penalty, right? It's it's such a game-altering call that, you know, they tried reviewing it a couple of years ago. That didn't work because they were just <laughs> they were just too scared to overturn anything, and so it was simply an exercise in futility. Uh, they, they, they have to do something. It's changing games. You got to let these guys play. And then uh, one of the other PI calls that I had a massive issue with, um, and I think it was on, was it on a fourth down? 
no, it was on a third down stand where the Seahawks actually held. They went for it on fourth and two after this play and uh, C.D. Lamb, good coverage, dropped by Lamb and the Hawks actually held on fourth down on a drive that would have given Dallas chose not to kick the field goal, go for it on fourth and two. Instead, the field goal would have given them the lead. It was an interesting decision at the time. But on third down, Bobby comes up and makes what looks like a textbook hit on a receiver uh, catching the ball. Timed it perfectly, contacted the receiver right when the ball got there, and they called a pass interference. Just ridiculous. But what we didn't see in this game were... The Seahawks were much, much better. I think there was one false start. We didn't see the offsides and the false starts. They cleaned some of that up. It's just the pass coverage stuff. And man, Pete was livid about some of this stuff. And you know who else was? This game was so important that John Schneider was on the sideline. We don't see that very often, but late in the game, you can see on some of the TV copy, there were a couple of calls. He's running down there right with Pete and he's screaming at the officials. They knew how big this game was. Um... So, you know, focusing on the good stuff to begin with. So Gino was outstanding. And I, and I talked to some people late in the game on Twitter that, that are just so hesitant to give him any credit. And this one guy kept coming back to me and saying, well, let's see if he leads a drive. Or what about the interception? Because he did throw a pick. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute in a little bit of a different context. Um, what about the interception? I said, no, that's one play. He has been outstanding this whole game. Well, let's see if he uh, drives us down and wins it before I, before I, you know, am willing to acknowledge that he's having a great game. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Gino was great today. If this version of Gino Smith showed up every week, this team would have eight wins minimum. They would have won the Cincinnati game. They would have won. One of the Rams games, for sure. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And then they'd be eight and four and cruising into the playoffs. The, the leverage today for the playoff race was massive. With a win, they would have gotten over 70%. I think this drops into 40-something, according to PFF. Um, so that was good. Tackling was much, much better today. Much better. Uh, they got some consistent pressure on Dak. They affected some throws, even though there was no pressure the first couple of drives, but they, they came around. Second half, coverage was better. 
Like Dak had to, to throw the ball into, into traffic. But they still, they just, they don't come up with the big play and the big moment, the key play that they need to take this one in their favor. Uh, so let's talk about where I think this game was lost. Um, Seahawks completely turned around their challenges on third down. Nine out of 14 in this game. And what we saw was, as much as Geno Smith had his best game of the year, uh, up until, and, and except for these couple of examples I'm about to talk about, I thought Shane Waldron did too. The offense looked balanced. He got everybody involved. The screen game, uh, especially in regards to involving Zach Charbonnet, who was hurt late in this game. We'll have to monitor that. And Jackson Smith and Jigba uh, was outstanding. Starting to find something there in the screen game. His use of JSN, I thought, took another step forward, even though the numbers don't look, they kind of look pedestrian. Seven catches on 11 targets, long of 18, 62 yards. But it's the way they're using him. And end of the first half, when Geno Smith threw a Cam Ward Apple Cup-esque touchdown pass into the corner of the end zone, and really it's what changed this game. They score at the end of the first half, and then they get the ball to start the second half, drive down score as well, 14-point swing. But he throws an absolutely beautiful ball to Jackson Smith and Jigba at the pylon that even Gene Steratore on the broadcast, the former head of officials in the NFL uh, said, I think that's a touchdown. Yes, the ball contacted the turf, but I didn't see lost possession, but they overturned it on review. And then uh, Seahawks would score two plays later on a throw to DK Metcalf for one of his three touchdowns. And so you take that off the border, it would have been a much, much bigger day for JSN. But on fourth down is where this game was decided. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm being too hard on that guy that said, well, I'm not willing to, to say that Gino had a great game if he threw an interception and failed to drive them down at the end of the game because because I'm about to be equally harsh on Shane Waldron, I suppose. Because I thought for the most part he was great today. If, if what we saw today from him as an offensive play caller was what we see on a week-to-week basis, I don't think we'd be talking about him being on the hot seat. But then here we are in a, in a position to pull an upset on the road. I think the Cowboys had won 15, 16 straight games at home. They're the hottest team in the NFC. The highest scoring offense in the league. We have a lead late in this game. We have a chance to win this game. And the Seahawks get aggressive as as the trend has been over the last couple of years that Pete Carroll has become much more open-minded about going forward on fourth down. And so they do. Twice late in this game. And the first time, let's see how much time was left. Uh, 437. No, that was the last one. Uh, there was about seven and a half minutes left. 
and they get a fourth and short, fourth and two, I believe it was. And as creative and varied as Waldron's play designs and play calling had been throughout the game, on fourth and two, he ends up calling the most vanilla run to Charbonnet off the left side, which is not our best running side. You know, Abe Lucas returned today, played about half the snaps, I think it looks like. It looked like to me, I haven't, you know, won't see the snap counts until later, but rotating with Jason Peters, he clearly made a difference. And then with Phil Haynes being placed on IR today, you had the big rookie, Anthony Bradford at right guard. And then Jason Peters was playing a little bit of right tackle, even played some right guard today because Bradford went out for a spell with an injury. That's our best running side. Those dudes can move some guys. And yet they try pulling Phil Haynes. They run the ball into the hole that Haynes vacates. The defensive lineman's right there waiting for Charbonnet. Nothing. No deception, no creativity at all. Then with 437 left in the game, down three near midfield, they go forward on fourth and four. And I, I felt this one. Four and a half minutes left. Our defense can't stop anything. I thought I thought it was the perfect call beforehand. I'm like, go for it, go for it, go for it. Gino's hot. Ride the hot hand. And what does he do? He lines up in shotgun. No tight end next to Lucas on the strong side with Micah Parsons just breathing down his neck, just breathing, breathing fire. Sorry, ESPN.com can go to hell with their uh, auto roll ads, by the way, as I'm looking at an innocent little box score. Um, no help at all. Just left Lucas on an island, shotgun. They send the back in motion so there's no threat of play action against the hottest pass rush in the league right now. And of course, what happens? Gino has no time to set and throw, throws a prayer. No, that was on third down. He throws a prayer up to JSN that actually had a shot. This one, he basically throws the ball into the turf, didn't have a chance. Game on the line, that's the best that Waldron could come up with. When what had been working was the stuff that Pete Carroll had been talking about for a week. Let's get back to play action. Gino's one of the highest rated quarterbacks in the league on play action. But let's take that away from him. Let's send the back in motion and let's leave Lucas on an island against Micah Parsons. Of course he's going to blow the play up. And he did. Ridiculous. I guess it would be a coaching comp if you were to make an analogy. You have a red hot quarterback playing, you know, lights out the whole game, and then he throws a terrible, terrible interception with a minute left. Just throws it right to a defender when there's nobody in the area. That would be the coaching equivalent of what Waldron did in this game. And I just hate it because th this team really, really had a chance to win. And I, I can't help but think what it would do to this team to have notched a win like this. Now you got to go to San Francisco again. And then you got to play Philly. It's uh, it's tough times. It's tough times. Um, it's unfortunate. I told you we'd talk about the pick. 
So simple out route to Tyler Lockett. Gino tries to stick it in there. And uh, Darren Bland, who did not get a pick six today. In fact, early in the game, a lot of what DK Metcalf was earning was over uh, Darren. Is it Darren or Duran? Bland. In fact, he kind of got benched for a minute. Like they brought Stephon Gilmore in to play his spot for a, for a series. Uh, but they stick Bland back out there. He actually flips to the other side. It's just one-on-one coverage, simple out route. And uh, Bland jumps it and just kind of bodies Tyler Lockett and wins the 50-50 ball. Tyler Lockett deserves some blame tonight. And, and I'm not ready to say that maybe, maybe we're on the downside of the twilight of his career. And that, But I think it's ironic that so much talk over the last month has been, you know, DK Metcalf doesn't live up to his potential, doesn't live up to the hype, doesn't make the kind of plays consistently enough that we would expect from a guy who's such a physical freak like he is. And maybe we should trade him. Right? Save $20 million against the cap next year, get a couple of draft picks. Maybe we're talking about moving on from the wrong wide receiver. Maybe Tyler Lockett's sun is setting. Because he got bodied on that pick. And then late in this game, I think it was fourth quarter. Let's see if my notes say. Uh... It's a big third down play. He was absolutely wide ass open. Gino puts the ball right on him, right in his hands, and he drops it. And he's slamming the turf with his fists afterwards. Wide open for a third down. And if he had kept his feet, he might have scored. It, it was. It looked like similar covers. It looked like cover zero. There was no safety help back there. It looked very similar to the, the coverage that Dallas played when DK scored his first touchdown, the 73-yarder. Uh, I don't know. And and they showed Tyler on the sideline. He's, he's taking oxygen again. We've seen that multiple times this year. I don't know what's up with that. Um, but with the emergence of Jackson Smith and Jigba, you just wonder what 2024 is going to look like. Right? Really unfortunate. Uh, what is that? Three out of four for the Seahawks? Four out of five that they've lost to drop to six and six. It's a game no one really gave him a chance to win. I think the spread was nine and a half, so they covered. But they had a chance to win. I put this in a very, very similar category as the Cincinnati game. And and look, I mostly have talked about the offense here. But somebody made a good point to me late in this game. Defense gave up 41 points. Again, can't stop anybody. How can you blame the offense? And I, and I think blame's the wrong word. I wasn't blaming anyone. I just think this was a game that could have been won. There were opportunities to win it. And I think the key plays in this game that swung it in Dallas's favor were failures on the part of our offense. That's what I'm saying. Jason Myers missed a field goal too. But I think you've heard me talk about this stuff before when you, you know, you miss a field goal early in a game. It's, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily look at the final score at the end of the game and say, well, that three points, three points would have made a difference because maybe the other team calls their drive, their next drive differently. And it, it, you just never know, right? 
but it, you know, wouldn't have won anyway. Um, so just an unfortunate ending to what was a really cool game. <laughs> it's been as, uh, as my better half, uh, and the love of my life, um, pointed out to me a couple of days ago, uh, it's been a rough week for old Dan. Uh, tough Thanksgiving day Seahawks loss. Tough Apple Cup, Cup loss. And that's that's the point I was going to make. This this reminds me of that. You know, it's a game against a superior opponent that you put yourself in a position to win and actually can make an argument should have won and, and don't come away with the W. Those are, those are maybe the toughest games to handle. It's a little easier to get blown out, right? It's easier to flush and move on from those. Then there was those two. And then got rolled in both of my fantasy leagues, jeopardizing my number one seed in both of those leagues as we head into the playoffs. And then to come back seven days later and, uh, and experience a loss like this, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, we get a 10 day break now before the Seahawks go to San Francisco. And then they get an extra day now after that as this, as the NFL now flexed uh, the Eagles game two weeks from now from Sunday to Monday night football. So the Seahawks make a little bit of history today. First time the NFL has ever done that and flexed uh, a team into Monday night football. And it was because it was because the new England Patriots are so unwatchable right now. They were scheduled to play Kansas city in that Monday night game. The league just didn't want to subject people to that. Even if it meant the Kansas city chiefs storyline and Kelsey and Swift and all that stuff. So uh, we'll see. Can the Seahawks build on this offensive performance? Um, it was so, so, so good to see Abe Lucas out there looking 100% healthy. Um, if that knee is truly 100% healthy, that's good news, not only for the rest of this year, um, because the NFC is still so bad, the Seahawks do still have a shot to to make it as a wild card, but for next year too, as you look ahead and into what's next for this organization this team having a young, really good, healthy right tackle would be a good thing to have, right? I was concerned, and still am until I see it over the long haul, that just because it was so mysterious and and kind of coy, the way they were talking about this injury earlier in the season and evasive they were and talking about treatment, that, you know, is this a, is this a degenerative thing? Uh, so hopefully it's not, because he, he definitely makes a difference out there. The team is better significantly better when Abe Lucas is out there. Um, and, you know, heck, maybe they have a chance second time, go down and play the 49ers again. Maybe they can build on this on offense. But the bottom line is, it, as as that gentleman on Twitter pointed out to me, I don't know how much they can accomplish with this defense. It's amazing how quickly things change. Like, you know, six weeks ago, we were all feeling pretty good about things, right? Devin Witherspoon was exploding on the scene. And, um, you know, Jaron Reed was exceeding expectations. And Boye Mafe was emerging. And Bobby looked like his old self. And Jordan Brooks was playing maybe his best football, even post-injury. Um, but... There's just so few impact players on this team. Uh, you see flashes. You know, there was a goal line stand that they came up with uh, to hold Dallas to a field goal where, 
in about a four-play stretch, Draymond Jones came up with a play um, to blow things up, and Leonard Williams had a sack and another play that affected the quarterback. So you can see some of the some of the upside there, some of the potential. But my God, the money that they you know we've we've been having this conversation for four years. The money they have tied up in that safety group and what that's prevented them from being able to do elsewhere on the roster. We're starting to see that on a weekly basis. You know, we see a couple of plays from Jamal Adams here and there, but, um, you know, he got beat for what ended up being the game-winning touchdown on a pretty easy pitch and catch from Prescott to Jake Ferguson. As soon as he recognized his tight end was man, you know, being covered man-to-man by Jamal Adams. I mean, Jamal was right there in position to make a play and had no, didn't look like he had any chance. Um, it's, you know, some of the same old questions linger and remain. And, uh, it's tough to see where things go from here without significant changes because of what I just mentioned, because, uh, Jeff Simmons talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago, just a lack of blue chip players. You know, we saw we saw seven, eight, nine guys for Dallas tonight step up and make big time plays multiple times in that game that were a problem for the Seahawks. And how many of those guys do the Seahawks have? Not enough. Not enough. That's the answer. <laughs> uh, so another loss, but you know, as I've said before on the show, it's called Seahawks Forever for a reason. We're going to continue to hope. We're going to continue to ask questions and analyze and look as closely as we can and see if we can see if they can get this thing figured out so that at least they can build on what we saw tonight in some ways, put it into practice the next couple of weeks. Even if they look, here's the reality. Here's what I'll end you end on today. They could and probably should and probably will lose the next two games to fall to six and eight. And then they finished with Tennessee, Pittsburgh, and Arizona. They can get to nine wins, and in the NFC, there's a good chance that still gets them into the playoffs. Well, there's a whole other conversation to be had about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because now you're drafting lower, and maybe they keep the status quo, and maybe changes are needed. And if you want a deeper dive into that, check out my last episode I posted a couple of days ago about some changes that I think are needed in the organization. My mind hasn't changed about any of that stuff. I'm just going week to week, and I liked some of what I saw tonight. It's just a damn shame they couldn't get it done when they had to late in the game. I'm Dan Viennes. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe. Review the show. If you like what I do, buy me a coffee. Link is in the description. And subscribe to the Seahawks Forever YouTube channel because I will be uh, doing a more in-depth reaction piece uh, tomorrow. Usually do three, four episodes a week. And if you subscribe, you don't miss any episodes there. Thank you for listening forever and always go Hawks until next time.